The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus saw that he answered wisely. He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. The Gospel of the Lord. These past several weeks, Mark keeps taking us back again and again and again to the very bedrock of our tradition. Today's readings are absolutely no exception. There is a sense in which we are back to basics yet again. We have that seminal reading from the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is giving the primary commandment to all the Israelites as they stand on the threshold of the promised land getting ready to enter. And Jesus is confronted by one of the scribes in Jerusalem Sort of, or maybe not sort of, in the shadow of the temple and all of its rituals around sacrifice. The scribes were the keepers of the details and the essentials of Jesus' day. They knew the Torah, what we now call the first five books of the Bible, backwards. They knew the primary teachings well. And some of them were so conservative, you might say, that if it wasn't written in the text, it was not critically important. It was not essential. What was written is what matters. So when the scribe approaches Jesus today, 
The question isn't hostile. The question is rooted in a long-standing tradition that would be carried on later by the rabbis, and that is there is always a conversation going on in the life of Judaism about what matters most and what is at the heart of the tradition. What is at the bedrock? What matters? Lots of ink will be spilled about this in the coming centuries. And so the scribe asks an honest question of a rabbi, of a teacher. What is essential here? Jesus speaks out of probably his upbringing. Jesus knew the prayer that was said in the synagogue every time they entered it on every Shabbat service, and it was probably a prayer that was uttered at home as well any time there was a recognition of their tradition, and that's called in the Hebrew Shema, that is the recognition that God and God alone is at the basis of the life of the Israelites. Of all things that made the Israelites distinctive in the first century, this is probably it. As far as we know, there was no other thoroughgoing community and culture with a deep history that believed in one God and one God alone. So much so that they anchored their identity there. And if there was a source of their struggle with all of the various powers that had captured and enslaved them over the centuries, it was this. They were what we now call monotheists in a polytheistic world. So that Jesus goes there first is probably obvious to any faithful Jew living then or living now. It makes perfect sense. But then Jesus does something a little bit less common. He talks about a second commandment, and he draws on a very obscure verse in the book of Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the way that we have received Leviticus, at least to this day, it is almost a passing verse, something you could gloss over in a lengthy passage about how the Israelites are to live with one another. But Jesus elevates it and makes it secondary only the, to the Shema and ties them together. Now the question is, does that make Jesus unique? Actually, it does not. There were other rabbinical teachers in the first century, including, I believe, Hillel, who taught the same thing. So this was not unique to Jesus, but that he elevates it is important and starts to set him apart. But then there's the third element and that is when the scribe agrees with him 
Jesus says to him, you are not far from the reign of God. That language, as far as we know, is distinctive and is what sets Mark apart from many of the other writings of the first century in ancient Israel. You are not far from the reign of God, Jesus says. Jesus lived in a time where there were assumptions, as you've heard me teach before, about what the Messiah should and shouldn't be doing. And one of the assumptions, of course, was a political assumption that the Messiah would come, throw the Romans out, because the Romans were problematic. Sure, they brought peace to the empire, but they also brought the cross. They brought a level of suppression. They extracted tribute from the people. And perhaps most offensive of all, there was always this sense that the Romans were a heartbeat away from bringing in their gods to the temple and overthrowing that fundamental precept of Judaism that our God is God, the only God. That is, to overthrow the fundamental identity to who the Jewish people were. And to desecrate the temple. It had been desecrated before. First century Jews knew this. And they remembered especially the story of the Maccabees two centuries earlier who had thrown out the Assyrian Empire and restored the dignity of the temple. So there were expectations that Jesus was perhaps one who would do the same thing. He would throw the Romans out, restore the glory of the ancient kingdom, perhaps after the template of King David and Solomon a thousand years earlier. What is remarkable about Mark is that somehow that narrative is being subverted. And not just that narrative, but all of the narratives we bring, both in the first century and both as 21st century Christians to the table, are narratives that somehow we can force the world to go our way And, of course, that old human problem of the attraction of power and domination. The Romans were just the latest in a series of empires that came in with military might and dominated the land and the political structures and the religious structures, if they could, with the threat of violence and death and dissolution. Mark was probably written on the eve of the Romans' destruction of Jerusalem. They were so fed up 
by about the year 70 that they rolled in, they destroyed the temple, they raised the city to the ground, and they even changed its name. Because there were enough people who believed in that whole Messiah thing and political overthrow of the Romans that there were rebellions in that latter half of the first century. And the Romans finally threw up their hands and said, we've had enough. And no threat of death was working, so we'll just destroy the power center and the center of identity for the Jewish people and call it good. The temptation then for early Christians was the same as it was for their Jewish sisters and brothers, and that was to think that they had a truth that would save them from that political calamity. But even that is being subverted in this passage. The subversion is that Jesus places before us primary teachings that have nothing to do with political power, at least not directly. Nothing to do with claiming the powers of death and violence and destruction that empires have used across the ages to dominate the landscape and the political and religious realities of human life. What we have instead is an instruction to remember our rootedness in God and to remember, second to that, our rootedness in our life with our neighbors. And it's not easy. Many of you know I'm fond of quoting G.K. Chesterton, right? G.K. Chesterton tells us the Bible teaches us two things. Pray for your enemies and love your neighbors. By and large, he points out, because they tend to be the same people. The profound thing is that the reign of God that Jesus says this points towards subverts all of the ways that empire and oppression claim our souls. Empires work with the threat of violence and death, with the threat of dividing us over and against one another, with the threat of taking away everything that we hold dear. But Jesus is pointing out that there are two things that fundamentally subvert that narrative. One is putting God first. Hint, hint, that means the emperor isn't. A dangerous thing to believe. Secondly, to build our lives around a filial and loving relationship with our neighbors. No threat of violence or physical dissolution or even death is in the picture. These are the instructions for a people who are free, even when the powers of this world think they have us under their thumb fundamentally subversive. 
But even more so is this sense where Jesus says, you are not far from the reign of God. I was asking Joe Jennings this week, what does that mean? If these commandments are enough in Mark's gospel, what is there left? Well, Joe said, I mean, the patent obvious is that we haven't gotten to the end of the gospel yet, have we? What has to happen? The crucifixion. And then the empty tomb. The rest, you see, is left up to God in Christ. That Jesus dies to the empire and then rises again and defeats death is the ultimate subversive act. Because then the threat of death and violence no longer has hold on anybody. We truly are free. We need not live in fear any longer. And that's good news, but it's also subversive news. It means, again, our God is not coming and knocking at the door, but is breaking and entering into our orderly lives and upending the orders of violence and death and destruction. Why? So that God can plant new life. Not new life somewhere out there, but right here, in our midst, in our hearts. New life that leads to eternal life. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.